Now, if you weren't with us last week, we started our study into the book of Joshua. And uh, if you're not familiar with the book of Joshua, it is a great book that follows Israel after Moses has died, and they're now going into the promised land. And there's a lot of application for us, because as we go through this book, we tend to forget, and I don't want to repeat all of last week's points, but we tend to forget that we are in a battle every day of our lives. And I see a lot of Christians not realizing or forgetting they're in a battle. So when they get whooped by the enemy, they think, what happened? Book of Joshua here shows us this is a battle and all that we do and all that we say for the glory of the Lord. And it's a fight, and we need to be ready and prepared for that. Now, last week we introduced who Joshua was. We got into the background of Joshua, and I encourage you to get that because there's a lot of neat godly examples of who Joshua was and how can we apply that to our lives. What we're getting into now is now that he's the leader, Moses has passed away, we're ready for him to see what he's going to do. And the key word here, verse 10, it says, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people. See, verses 1 through 9 was Joshua's background and how God has called him to be the leader. The same Holy Spirit that led Moses is the same Holy Spirit that led Joshua, which is also the same Spirit that leads you and I today. That's the beautiful part about God. He leads us, guides us, and directs us. Joshua's in charge of about 3 million people here. That's a pretty tough assignment. And this is not a good group of people. <laughs> this is a pretty complaining group of people. This is a rough group to lead. But Joshua, verse 10, takes the reins and he commands. And why can he command? He can command because the Spirit's leading him. Verse 11, pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days you will cross over the Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them, until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Very simply put, they're coming into the promised land. And these tribes here that are listed in verse 12, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, their land is already on this side. They're already in their land. And so now they're getting ready to take over the rest of the land, which goes to the rest of the tribes of Israel. And the deal was that they're already here, and so since they're already here, that's their land. They get to take advantage of that, but the men still need to go fight with the other tribes to claim their land. And Joshua is just reminding them of this. Verse 16, so they answered Joshua, saying, All that you commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we have heeded Moses and all the things which we will heed you, only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words, and all that you do, command him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. So, simple point there. But, but I think this point actually goes a little bit deeper. Because let's just get honest. Don't you sometimes get frustrated of helping people out? I mean, we like to serve, and God has called us to serve. But yet, sometimes it gets really difficult to serve. If I was part of the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, as a young man with a family... If I'm back during that time, I'm 33, in the prime of my life, ready to go fight, I got four kids and a wife, and I'm supposed to leave them and now go fight for some other tribe, it'd be really easy just to stop and say, you know what, guys, we got our land, you go get your land. And you see that mindset sometimes in the body of Christ. I hate to say that. You see some people in the body of Christ saying, well, I hear that so-and-so needs help with this. Well, that's his problem. I'll pray for him. 
Well, sometimes God says you need to pick up your sword and go help them. But you know what? To go help them means you have to make that sacrifice. And these Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh, they were making a sacrifice to leave their families and go fight with other people. Now that sounds real easy and it sounds real gun-ho and it sounds real patriotic, but the truth of the matter is that's a really difficult thing to do. And there are times in your life today God has called you to serve and go do it, and it's really difficult to do. I think in Titus chapter 2, Titus 2 is this great chapter. It says the older women are supposed to help the younger women. The older men are supposed to help the younger men. And that sounds really easy on paper. But the truth of the matter is I've heard Christians say this before. Well, you know what? I've already gone through that phase in my life, and I'm already done with that, so I'm not getting back involved with it. Well, wait a second. God says, yes, you've already gone through that phase. Yes, you've already lived it. So now you can pass on your life experience to other people that are now going through it. Well, I don't want to relive it. Yeah, but you need to help those that are going to go relive it. That's the purpose of Titus chapter 2, is are we going to help? And it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice emotionally. It's a sacrifice physically. It's a sacrifice financially. It's a sacrifice. And if you try to serve the Lord, I'm telling you right now, you're going to be walked on. You're going to be taken advantage of. But when you see fruit for the Lord, my goodness, is it worth it. You know, Rich and I were uh, going to a hospital visit today, and we were going there, <coughs> excuse me, and we were talking about stuff, and, you know, we were kind of praying about things, and there's, you know, a situation with this, and there's a situation with that, and it's really discouraging, and it's really depressing. But then Rich shares this one testimony, and, like, all of a sudden, the lights just go on. And it's like, wow, Lord, somebody's getting it. <laughs> and, and all this depression and discouragement and all this world falling apart, somebody's getting it. And you see the fruit coming. And you see now why when John wrote in the book of 3 John, he goes, I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in the truth. See, that's the most important thing. I could be having a horrible day and everything falls apart, but I get one phone call from one person that says, hey, I just want to share this. And you hear that praise and you're like, Lord, thank you. That's what I needed to do to get through this. Because let's just be honest, this world is depressing, this world is discouraging, and this world will bring you down. I don't know why any believer would want to plant themselves into this world. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I'm ready for the rapture and the more I'm ready for the Lord just to take us. But yet, while I'm in this world, when you see somebody get it and you see that fruit, boy, it really just blesses your heart. And what you see here with the Reubenites and the Gadiites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they were willing to make the sacrifice. They were willing to leave family behind. They were willing to cross the Jordan. They were willing to go fight for the other people, even though they had their stake. And God says, are you willing to do that now? It says in the book of Galatians 6.10 is that we're supposed to help all, but especially those of the household of the faith. And sometimes that helping is physical. Sometimes that helping is spiritual. Sometimes that helping is emotional. I don't know what it is. But are we willing to help them and encourage them to do that? That's the first point you see here. These guys were willing to go do that. The second point I'm going to share with this is verse 17. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. There's a responsibility of leadership. They say, we will follow you, Joshua, on one condition. You need to make sure you're following God, just like Moses was following God. One of the most intimidating verses in the Bible, if you're taking notes, is 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Paul writes, imitate me as I imitate Christ Jesus. Now, just be honest with yourself. Can you say that? Can you say to your non-believing co-workers, to your non-believing family members, 
Can you say that to your believing co-workers and family members? Imitate me as I imitate Christ Jesus. That's a pretty bold statement to say. Now, on certain days of the week, at certain times, I can say that. There's other times that I can't. See, what they're telling Joshua is, we will follow you as long as you follow the Lord. Because by really following Joshua, they're not following Joshua the man. They're following the Spirit leading Joshua. And that's what we're supposed to do is imitate Christ. And that's the example that we're supposed to have. And look at verse 18. Only be strong and of good courage. They were looking for a good spiritual leader. Remember, we talked about this point last week. How many times it was repeated in verses 1 through 9? Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. See, they're telling Joshua now, we will follow you. But just make sure the Lord's leading you. And number two, set the godly example of being strong and good courage. And you know what? That same thing happens today. People are looking up to you. And you may say right now, nope, no one's looking up to me. I disagree with you totally. There are people watching you that you do not know and you do not see. And they're seeing what your godly example is. And if you have any type of spiritual authority, and that means if you're a mother with kids, you're a grandmother, you're an aunt, you're an uncle, you have believing friends, you have some type of spiritual authority where your spiritual sphere of influence is influencing other people. Can you say... Imitate me as I imitate Christ Jesus. Can you say, I'm going to follow the Lord, so I'm going to set such a godly example so that way when you follow me, you're actually following the example of Jesus Christ. That's a scary thing. You know, Elias has got this thing now. He's five years old, and he's getting stronger. And I, either I'm getting weaker, one of the two. He'll come up, and he will smack me as hard as he can for just no reason. I don't know if it's demonic or what, but he just comes up and he just hits me as hard as he can. And it's like, Elias, you just can't go up and hit somebody. But you know what I do? I just walk by and I smack him. <laughs> I just, I'm doing it. But now I know my own strength. I know my own limitations. And I know that that's, I remember growing up as a kid, that's how dad and I showed love to each other. We hit each other. I know that sounds bad. Don't take that the wrong way. It's that guy, father thing type thing. And I realized he doesn't fully get that. He's imitating me. Well, what happens is this filters down. So it's, it's what does Judah do? Judah hits. Judah hits Kenan. Well, what does Kenan hit? Kenan hits little Laden. And there's this whole thing going on of, guys, you can't do that, but yet you set the example. I've shared it with you before. I have all three of them now, Elias, Judah, and Kenan, all three of them, when they get frustrated, you know what they do? Stomp their foot. And where do they learn that from? I stomp my foot when I get upset. Imitate me as I imitate Christ Jesus. And you know it, and I know it. People see, people respond. Parents, we've got an important responsibility to be a witness. Grandparents, you do. Aunts, uncles, whatever it is, you have some type of spiritual influence in other people, and you're setting a godly example. These Ga Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh said, Joshua, we will follow you. Just follow the Lord first and set a good godly example for us, and we will follow you. That's the way it's supposed to work. We set the example, and that example is Jesus Christ, and then therefore we can be a light and a witness in all we say and do. So that's the first part here. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about this before we move on? Okay, now we get to the second part here. Joshua's in command. What's he going to do? Verse 2, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 2. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Achaia Grove to spy secretly saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. Now, I need to stop here for a second. They've already spied the land out once. Remember that? We talked about that last week. Caleb and Joshua 
years ago spied out the land with other guys, and that's what caused the problem. They spied out this land, and the other guys said, hey, we can't defeat this land. Caleb and Joshua said, yes, we can. And the complaining and the lack of faith of the nation of Israel, God said, fine, you don't think you can do it. You go ahead and wander for 40 years until all of you die off, and I'll start afresh. And Caleb and Joshua were the only ones that came back. Now, he's not re-scouting it. He's now scouting specific areas. They're ready to conquer. So now he says, go check out Jericho. All right, it's our first step. We're going to go fight Jericho first. Now, they go to Rahab. Now, Rahab is a great gal. Problem is, she's a prostitute. And then some people have said, well, why would they go to a prostitute's house? Well, quite honestly, if you were going to try to be discreet in Jericho, you would go to the prostitute's house, because if you were a traveling man back then, that's what you did. That's where you went to go visit. I don't think there's any connotation of them going and doing anything wrong. I think this was a God-ordained thing, because as we get into chapter 2, Rahab is a believer. And this Rahab that is a prostitute, check this out. She gets to be in the lineage of Jesus. She is one of Jesus' uh, lineage there. It's an amazing thing. And also, number two, she gets to be mentioned in the book of James as an example of faith. So, real quick point, and I don't mean to belittle this point, some of you, guys and gals, have a pretty sordid past. But isn't it amazing that God can and still use you? I mean, that's what it comes down to. This is the prostitute. Okay, well, can't we pick a better woman to be mentioned in the lineage of Jesus? No, God says, I want to use a prostitute in my lineage. And he also says, I want to use Bathsheba, the woman that committed adultery in my lineage. God likes picking out these gals that have that sword past to show an example of anybody who can become a new creation in Christ Jesus. What an amazing thing. So they go to Rahab's house. Well, what happens is the king of Jericho finds out that these Jews are there. Now, he's not dumb. He knows they're coming. He knows they're probably scouting out the land. So he goes, he finds out they went to Rahab's house, so he goes to Rahab and he says, give them here. Well, what happens in verse 4, she takes them and she hides the guys, and she says, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. <coughs> Excuse me. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax which she had laid up in the order of the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. So, she hides them, and as she hides them, now they're hiding here and everybody's looking for them. Look at her faith here in verse 9. She said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land, and the terror of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly defeated. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you, for the Lord your God, for he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also show kindness to my father's house, and give me a true token. Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that have, and deliver our lives from death. See, now this gal had faith. In the book of James, if you want to take notes here, we're, uh, we're kind of running short on time, but if you want to take notes here, James 2.25 says, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot, also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. God says here with Rahab, her life, her actions revealed her heart. 
See, now we struggle with this sometimes because we are very clear that grace and mercy is what saves you. Works do not save you. But the point of James chapter 2 is to say that works show that you are saved. So works don't save me, but works show my heart. See, Rahab had belief in God. That was evident. Her words were saying that. But her words were backed up by her actions. She was willing to put her life on the line for these men and for the servants of God. Her actions validated her words. See, here's the problem we live in. We live in a society today where people have a whole lot of words, don't they? My goodness, almost anybody you run into is going to claim to believe in God. They really are. Now, every now and then I run into somebody who claims to be an atheist. And the more you talk to them, they, they believe, well, you know, I don't really believe in God, but, you know, my grandmother was a good woman and I know she's up in heaven. Well, then you, then you believe in something. You're not an atheist. You may be agnostic. And you know what agnostic translates over? It translates into fool. Really, that's what agnostic <laughs> means. It means fool. And what does it say in the book of Proverbs? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So it's just amazing how, generally speaking, people have words. If you live in northwest Ohio, almost anybody you run into is going to probably tell you they believe in God. They're probably going to tell you that they at least went to church sometime. I find it very hard to believe you're going to find somebody in northwest Ohio that when you mention the name Jesus, they're going to say, I have never heard of this man before. Well, we all have words. Rahab had a whole lot of words here. She gives this great speech from verse 9 through uh, verse 13. Okay, she's got words. But does she have actions? See, anybody can show up at church and say, I believe in God. Okay, those, those words, what do they mean? Are there actions to back those words up? Just like somebody coming into my office for counseling. I want to work on my marriage. Okay, those are great words, but what are you going to do about it? I want to go deeper in my walk with the Lord. That's wonderful, wonderful words. What are you going to do about those words? Are there going to be actions that validate those words? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name, etc.? And Jesus will say, Away from me, I never knew you. See, those people had a lot of words. And those people even had some actions. But the problem was their heart wasn't right. See, Rahab's heart was right. And we know her heart was right because, once again, she's in the lineage of Jesus. She's mentioned in the book of James. Her actions validated her words. So we have to ask ourselves, when we say it, do we also mean it and do we also preach it? We had a great men's study uh, this last Saturday, and I just want to plug this real quick. It's a wonderful book. It's called Disciplines of a Godly Man, and it meets every other Saturday. So we're not meeting this Saturday, but meeting the next Saturday. I read that chapter. I was so pumped up. I, I went to that Bible study, and I was so pumped up. It was just a wonderful study. I even got home, and I told Dawn, what a wonderful book. What a wonderful study. And I had all these things that, you know, just was going to do this and do that. And I was so pumped and excited about it. But you know what the truth of the matter is? It's now been, what, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, four days later. I haven't put one of those things in action yet. Because I keep saying, boy, it's really busy. You know, it's been a busy week. We got this. Okay, so tomorrow's a go. Oh, no, tomorrow's not a good day to start this stuff because I got I to gotta do this and I got to do that. And really what it comes down to is I have a lot of words. I love that book. I love that chapter. I love that study. But... It's one thing to sit here, hear it, be blessed by it, but that's another thing to do it. The book of James describes that as a man who looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what his face looks like. That's a person that gets into the Word, reads it, and says, Oh, I like it. My goodness. How many times do we underline a passage? How many times do we write out that scripture and put it on the card? How many times do we talk about it? But God says, That's great. 
but I need to see some action following those words. See, Rahab could have said, I believe in God. I've heard everything you've done. I've heard everything that's going on. This is wonderful, but I'm not going to help you now because I'm scared. No, her actions validated her words. And so what happens here? Let's move on a little bit. Verse 14, so the men answered her, Our lives for yours. I like these guys. If none of you tell the business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. See, they said that's great. But you know what? You get us out alive, we'll get you out alive. Actions. This is not just words of, okay, Rahab, we appreciate that. No, you get us out, we get you out here. Actions speak louder than words. Now, one other quick point about this. I find this fascinating, <coughs> excuse me, that the people of Jericho knew what was going on. Because in a few short chapters here, Jericho is going to be utterly destroyed. And as it's going to be utterly destroyed, some of you are going to sit here and think, that's not fair. That is not a God of love. How could a God of love utterly destroy a town? Well, I will take you back to this passage here and say, everybody in Jericho already knew about the Lord and they chose not to accept him. See, she says, we've heard about this. Rahab heard, believed, and acted on it, and God redeemed her. What you're going to see here in a little bit, they work out this whole thing of when we come to take out Jericho, you take this scarlet cord and you put it in your window, and we see that scarlet cord, that red cord, we will know not to attack that place. And anybody that you have in your house at that time that's covered in that scarlet cord, they will be saved. Is that not a picture of Jesus, the blood of Christ? You have the blood right there, that scarlet cord, and as long as you have the blood, and as long as you have the red cord, you're going to be okay. But you know what? you got to get in the house. A little bit of spiritual responsibility. What good does it do if she tells all her friends and loved ones, hey, come to the house, you will be saved. And they see the scarlet cord hanging, but they never get in the house. See, how many of us see the scarlet cord of Christ and we know it's salvation, but we never get in the house of God? See, there is spiritual responsibility. Just like Joshua, we will follow you. You just need to make sure that you're following the Lord like Moses did and be strong of a good courage. We'll follow you. Spiritual responsibility. They're telling Rahab, your house will be saved, but you need to put the scarlet cord in your window and you're responsible to get your family and bring them in to the house. Spiritual responsibility. See, you're responsible now to take these words, to take this message and put it into action. What good does it do to write down these points of, oh, that's great, God still uses the Rahabs, the harlots of this world. Oh, this is really good. I just need to be a godly example to people. This is great. But then you don't put any action on it. See, Rahab put action on it, and because of that, her family was saved. Now, a couple points here to finish this up with. <coughs> Excuse me. First one, your actions impact your family and generations that follow you. We talked about that Sunday. We just said in Proverbs how the righteous... They're, the posterity of the righteous are affected. When you live a godly life, that affects your kids, that affects your grandkids, and you affect generations that follow you again and again and again. Rahab, by being a godly, righteous woman and doing godly actions, her family was affected to the point of being saved. So, wives that have a husband that's not where he's supposed to be with the Lord, your actions, 1 Peter 3, will impact them. Men who have a wife that's not where she's supposed to be in the Lord, your actions, according to the Bible, will impact her life. Parents that have kids that aren't walking with the Lord, the Bible says your actions will impact them. That's the truth of it. And we see this with Rahab. Her actions impacted her family to the point of being saved. A picture of salvation through the scarlet cord of Christ.
One last point to say about this. I get really discouraged sometimes, and I get in these little woe is me moments where I don't see anything happening. You pray and you pray and you pray and nothing changes. You, you minister, you minister, and nothing happens, nothing changes. And you get frustrated about this. And you basically say, Lord, nothing's changing. No, nothing's going on here. What, what is the point of all this, Lord? What are, what are we trying to do here? Tough book to find, but if you can find it, I encourage you. Book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3. It snuck in there between the books of Nahum and Zephaniah. And you're not allowed to look in the front of your Bible or use your tabs. Just kidding. Habakkuk chapter 3. God is moving and working behind the scenes even when you don't see it. A few uh, lessons ago, it may have been a couple months ago, I, I shared with you that uh, the one lesson of some of the first people to try to scale Mount Everest. I don't know if you remember this or not. And one of the guys that tried to scale Mount Everest, if I remember correctly, got within, I believe it was, 50 yards of the top of Everest. But it was such a bad snowstorm, he couldn't see the top, and he stopped and he turned around and went back. It was at 50 yards of being the first man, first person, to ever climb to the top of the highest point of the world. And he turned around because he couldn't see what was going on. How many of us spiritually give up and we're within 50 yards of the goal? 50 yards of just being done. And, and, and God says, don't give up. But why do we give up? We give up because we can't see. Where's our faith? Look at Habakkuk. Habakkuk's a great book, real quick here. Habakkuk was a guy that struggled. He just came right out and said, Lord, I don't get it. The righteous suffer, the wicked win. I don't understand what's going on. We pray, we do this, nothing changes. How many of us have had a Habakkuk morning, a moment? But look how he finishes it up here. Habakkuk 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk basically says, if it does, nothing ever works out. If it just doesn't work out, the fig tree doesn't blossom, the fruit on the vines labor, it doesn't work out, what will I still do? Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high hills. See, Habakkuk says, even though I don't see it working, I will still trust that God is moving and doing things. And the reason I bring this up is, from a Jewish perspective, my personal opinion take it or leave it, be careful, is these Jews, when they went into Rahab and she opens up this great witness and testimony, I'd be like, you guys know about us? You guys know what God's doing? See, this is the thing. I sit here and say, it's all falling apart, Lord. Everything's falling apart. That marriage is over. That marriage is done. Oh, that, that person's never going to get saved. Oh, that person says they're going to go deeper and they're never going to go deeper. It's never going to change, Lord. And I give up. But God quietly behind the scenes is working on things that I don't even see. And then all of a sudden, just as in spring, the little green plants start coming through the snow. And you're like, wow, Lord, you are doing something. You are moving. The people of Jericho knew about God. They knew about God. So the Lord's moving. Right now, for some of you that are struggling with something and you feel like there is no end, there is no nothing... God's moving behind the scenes. You just don't realize it. Don't give up. It says in Psalm 1-3 that in due season we will reap. And remember in Ecclesiastes 3, there's times and seasons for all things. Right now maybe a time of season where it's dry. Maybe a time and a season where you don't feel close to the Lord. There may be a time and a season where your prayers feel like they're just falling on empty words. God's still moving. God's still working. Just as he impacted the people of Jericho, just as in the book of Habakkuk he was moving behind the scenes, 
Don't give up. Rahab got saved. Rahab became part of the lineage of Jesus. Rahab's family got saved. God was moving even when no one saw it or, or realized it. It's a wonderful witness and testimony. Does anybody got any final questions, comments here? Yeah, Ryan. Joshua, you're making the joke about Joshua, the son of Nun? Yes. Who was Joshua's parents? Nobody. He was the son of Nun. Yes. And now that's on recorded. See, that's recorded now for generations to listen to. That's good, Ryan. That was good. Somebody else have anything they want to say here? Yeah, Megan. She was. And God loves and forgives and uh, grace and mercy. Well, um, if you're asking me, I haven't wrote my book of the Bible yet, but in my book of the Bible, Rahab does, I believe, change her life. And I believe that Rahab, obviously, when she escapes from Jericho, she obviously, if you go into Matthew chapter 1, you can get a little bit more background on Rahab and who she marries and uh, her descendants, etc. It sounds like when you look into Matthew chapter 1 here, and you can check it out, Matthew 1, um, verse 5, um, she is actually the uh, father, uh, excuse me, the mother of Boaz. And uh, Boaz is a pretty bigwig Jew in uh, the book of Ruth. So obviously she got her life figured out and she settled down, and that's the beautiful thing of it. Yeah, so like I said, there, you know, there are a lot of Rahabs in churches. And the problem is the world, see this thing is, the world always wants to remind you of your past. And God always wants to say you're born again in a new creation in Christ Jesus. And, and some of us carry around these labels well, you know what he was like in score. You know what she did, or you know what whatever. God says, come on, born again, walking new. Mercy's new every morning. Rahab was a prostitute. Yeah, but Matthew 1, that's where I want to focus on, is Matthew 1, the lineage of Jesus. That's what Rahab did. Anybody else have anything they want to say here? Yeah, Kathy. You like it that these guys are taking your advice. Well, you know, these, these guys are in a pretty tough situation. They are in foreign territory, uh, in the largest, most uh, fortified city, um, there's a little bit of faith on both parts here, is that we have to have faith that this woman is really meaning what she says, and she also has to have faith that when she lets us go, when we come back, that uh, God is going to save her family. It's a faith thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's it's a kind of a neat picture there of um, Exodus of uh, of the Passover. You know, as long as you got the scarlet thing hanging, we see that red. We know that means leave it alone. And same thing with Passover. They saw the blood, and that blood they passed over then and saved them. It's a neat typology, real neat typology. Yeah, tweets. Yeah. That's a good one. Hebrews 11.31, if you a little more study about that. You know, if you think about it, this is quite the gal to be mentioned in the genealogy in Matthew 1. She's mentioned in James 2. She's mentioned in Hebrews 11. You know, uh, three references in the New Testament, that, that puts you in the who's who of the Bible. That's pretty good there. And here is a woman with a sword past that uh, God really used in a mighty way. It's a pretty cool thing. Anybody else have anything? All right, very good. Well, we will get into Joshua 3 next week, and uh, let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll let you go. Lord, thank you for the time. Thank you, Lord, for taking us Rahabs and making us new creations in you. And Lord, thank you for working behind the scenes even when we don't see it. Lord, we love you and we thank you for that. In your name, amen. Guys, have a good week and God bless.